Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. We're coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Charles, Missouri. Nice little suburb of St. Louis. My name is Matt Logman, and today we have a great program for you. Dr. Kenneth Howell has given us his time today as we will be discussing a little bit about the Eucharist, which he has a new book out called Mystery of the Altar. We're looking forward to diving into that. A little background on Dr. Kenneth Howell here. He was a Presbyterian minister for 18 years and a theological professor for seven years in a Protestant seminary where he taught Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, as well as biblical interpretations for the history or of the history of Christianity. During his ministry and teaching, Dr. Howell's own reading on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist started him on a six-year journey that eventually led him to Catholicism as on June 1st of 1996. He was confirmed and received into the Catholic Church at St. Charles Barmail Parish in Bloomington, Indiana. Dr. Howell taught in higher education for almost 30 years, most recently for over a decade as professor of religion at the University of Illinois, where he taught classes on the history, theology, and philosophy of Catholicism. At the same time, he served as the director of the Institute of Catholic Thought at St. John's Catholic Newman Center at the University of Illinois. A lot more stuff here, folks, but wow, let's get into actually talking about what he came in for Dr. Kenneth Howell, thank you for joining us today. Would you open us up with a prayer, please? Great. Thank you for having me. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in your gift of life to us, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the gift of the Church and the Eucharist. and We pray that today our hearts may be drawn to you more and more, as we learn to serve you in this world, and that we may enjoy you forever in the life to come. Grant this all we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Name the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well done, my friend. All right, well, it says here that you read yourself into Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So that obviously inspired your book, though, but uh, give us a little background of where you're at then. Well, uh, I mean, how I came into the church or why I did. Well, yeah, and when you started reading, what was the was it a curiosity or was it just uh, studious on your part? Yeah, it was a good question. I what I tried to do was uh, I was teaching a class on what Presbyterians call the Lord's Supper, Catholics call the Eucharist, and um, as I was teaching this class, I began reading more about the history of thought or the history of Christian thought about this in the. Um, So I began reading the Church Fathers, uh, the earliest ones like Ignatius of Antioch, the famous Didache document, St. Justin Martyr, the ones in the second century, and it just followed all the way through. The more that I did, I came to realize that something was wrong with what I thought. And uh, as I began to um, delve into this more, I realized that the Reformation, the Presbyterian and the Lutherans, 
had really asked the right question. The question that they had asked was, whose faith, that is doctrine, and whose church order, that is you know, church life, had, um, had really represented the ancient church? Well, they asked the right question, but I came to the conclusion that they had the wrong answer. Hmm. Because the more that I investigated this, the more I realized, you know what? These ancient church fathers were really more Catholic than they were Protestant. Interesting. So I began to go into that more. So as this was materializing in your life, did you try to talk to your fellow brother Presbyterians and people, uh, you know, of hierarchy? Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, there was an interesting silence that they, uh, they didn't really want to engage it. And I couldn't quite figure out why. But then one of my fellow uh, Presbyterians, a pastor, said to me, he said, well, Ken, I think that uh, they know that you know a lot about the Bible and about theology and everything, so what can they say to dissuade you from that? There was one man who tried to do that, uh, but we didn't get very far because he didn't really know that much about the history of theology. Well, anyway, the more that we did this, the more it became evident that I was kind of on a journey by myself. Really? Now, you would think that every church out there tries to get people to the truth. Yeah. So there's obviously a wall that's keeping these people from either understanding us or believing us. Yeah. You know, I'm not yeah. quite sure there. Or maybe they know and they, that they want what they have now. Well, that's a great question because you know, that gets into the question of the heart and the moral judgments that we make as human beings. I think over time, as I've reflected on that, that very question is, I think there are people that are in ignorance. They simply don't know. And I was in that way. Even though I'd studied theology, I, I still didn't know a lot about the Catholic Church. So I think there are people that once they begin learning about it, they're drawn to the Catholic Church because they see the beauty of the Eucharist. On the other hand, there are others who perhaps uh, they, they start inching their way and they say, you know what, this is going to involve too much of a change in my life. So I'm very comfortable where I am, mm -hmm. so I'm just going to kind of stop right there. That's amazing, you know, because I don't know what to say about that because it's sad, you know, when because I, I understand they're making money, they have a family, they have rely, you know, responsibilities. Right. But basically, to me, that is like John chapter six, verse sixty-six, and they turned and walked away. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I think God gives us all opportunities to go deeper into faith, into trusting and loving Him, and. I mean, this is true whether you're Catholic or Protestant. When we come to those moments, we have to make a decision. It's a decision of our will to say, will I do what I want or will I yield my life to God and do what he wants me to do? I came to the conclusion that he wanted me to become Catholic because I had to have that Eucharist. I remember the day when I saw the host in the priest's hand and he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper. Well, I looked at the host and I said, I really believe that. This is truly Jesus Christ. Well, if I believed that, well, then I had to act on it. I had to do something about it. 
And I decided, I knew it would be a hard journey, but someday I had to become Catholic. How many of your fellow parishioners followed you? Well, I wasn't a pastor at the time. I was a teacher at the seminary. But I did have some students who followed in it. And I also had a student who was studying with me who was was actually raised Catholic. But he'd become a Protestant. And um, in the process of talking these things through— he returned to the Catholic Church and became a—he's a, a professor of theology down in New Orleans. Wow, praise God. Yeah, so I'm very thankful for that. There were others who who continued to explore, and as they did, they, you know, they stopped in various places. Some became Anglican, others, others uh, became Catholic. Right. So you came into the church. Now, was her family involved? I mean, I, we didn't uh, discuss that earlier. Yeah. Well, that was one of the reasons it took me so long was because my wife, um, who's a wonderful, beautiful woman, um, she couldn't quite join me on that. And uh, it did it caused some tension in our marriage, and I think she would admit that as well as I. Uh, but then a year after I became Catholic, my oldest daughter became Catholic. She had just entered college at the time. And then in 2010, my son, our son became Catholic, and then right after that, my wife told me, after we went to Rome on a pilgrimage one time, she said, I want to become Catholic now. So now, since 2010, she's been a Catholic. Wow, I bet that changed how things were in the household. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> Fantastic. So, you know, back before she did her change, when you tried to give her the idea, to explain the idea of the mm-hmm. real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. what did she have to rebuke that? Well, it's a good, it's a good uh, topic, or rather, it's a good question because, you know, when people go, even if they go to a Catholic mass, what do they see? Well, they see bread, they they taste wine or whatever, and it's not. It doesn't certainly seem to be the body and blood of Christ. Um, however, we went through the various scriptures, like John chapter six that you quoted, where Jesus says, "This," he said. Uh, Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life within you. Uh, I took her to the passages that she knew very well in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is my body. This is my blood. Uh, where Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that when we, the cup that we bless, it is a koinonia. It's a communion in the blood of Christ. And I laid out for her that we had these different views. And I said, you know, even Lutherans actually believe that it is the body and blood of Christ. And over time, she came to realize that our Presbyterian faith, which is more of a symbolic view, was really deficient. So we decided that before I became Catholic, we would go to the Lutheran church for a while. So we did. Uh, During that time, uh, when we were going to the Lutheran church, I was also going to the Catholic Mass every day during the week. Not, to, not receiving communion, just going to the Mass and being a part of it. And it was a beautiful experience as we were trying to work this out. Finally, we came to the point where we realized we're not going to see eye to eye on this. So we made, a, we made a promise. I'll go to church with you on Sunday, and you'll go to Mass with me on Saturday night. And so that's what we did for 14 years. Right. Well, you mentioned the word ignorance, and most of the people that are bashing our faith— and our Pope, 
it is out of ignorance. They have no yeah. idea yeah. who the Pope is. Yeah. You know, they have no idea, you know, what we're doing because they've only been told from their fathers who learned it from their fathers. And, right. you know, so it is a tar- it's tough to break through to, to a lot of those people. And the only way I could find comfort, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was kind of, you know, not so nice when I would try to talk about the faith it was scripture that talked to me one day and it said that uh, when they came back two by two, you know, Lord, hey, you know, we found somebody that was trying to cast out demons in your name and they're not with us. You know, I mean, they're not, you know, we don't know who they were. And he's like, if they're not against us, they're for us. I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks, Lord. I needed that now because he'll work with them on their own time. Well, I think that's a wonderful, uh, wise insight because uh, that's what I had to do with my wife. I realized that I was not going to be able to convince her. But that she, on her own, had to come and see. When she saw our son in 2010 become Catholic, and immediately after that, by the way, we went to Rome uh, at the uh, at the payment or the uh, at the love of a of a woman that decided to pay for us to go there for a couple of weeks. When we went there, and she saw the antiquity of the church, when she saw the beauty of the art and all of those things. Finally, she realized, and she said, yes, now's the time. I want to become Catholic, you know. And she, today, she really is Catholic. Do, doesn't, uh, doesn't that turn some people off when they see all that money because they're thinking about what could uh-huh. be done? I mean, yeah. really, I mean, have you talked to those types? Yeah, yeah, not very much, but, but I know what you're, you're referring to. And the fact is that nobody, no one individual owns that, not even the Pope. So it's not as if, it's like in, it's in a trust. Well, if I put half a million dollars in a trust for somebody else. I can't touch it. It's for that person, right? Oh, right. It's the, the church preserves this great art for the world. So it's not, it's not hoarding. It's actually giving a gift to the world. You're listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Charles, Missouri. And in studio today with Dr. Kenneth Howell, who has a new book out called Mystery of the Altar whose great journey started as a a Presbyterian minister and teaching in their seminarians. It's just a beautiful story, as you just mentioned, that his wife finally joined him uh, when they went on retreat in Rome. And, And the beauty out there, people just need to realize this is God's house. Now, if there's anybody that should be, you know, worthy of such things, it's gotta be God. You know, and his son, our Lord and Redeemer, and oh yeah, to me it's crystal clear, and that's why we do what we do, trying to save as many people as we can, one soul at a time. All kinds of good stuff coming up here, folks. This is Lent, and we do have a Lenten speaker series, and coming up March 17th, we have at the St. Gerard Magella Catholic Church, that's on Dougherty Ferry, Monsignor Matthew Midas. And his topic will be, Has Christ's Coming Made a Difference? That should be interesting, folks. Check that one out, please. As we'll get back into the Eucharist here. Now, uh, it had to have been a stumbling step for you to convert. What other stumbling step? And then we'll get back to the Eucharist. Did you have another one that was really tough for you to, like, I, I you know, yeah, I think there are two others that really were difficult. One was the the issue of justification and how we're saved, because that's what the Reformation began with. When Luther declared 
that a man is justified by faith alone. Now, Paul says that we're justified by faith, so the Catholic Church believes in that. But Protestants generally had the misconception that uh, that Catholics believe that we're justified by faith plus works. But the problem is they don't understand what works is in the Catholic faith. The works are simply things that we do uh, in thanksgiving for God, and through those works, he continues to change us and to make us more holy, to make us more perfect like himself. So the the real difference between Catholicism and Protestantism in that way is that we are saved by Christ, and Christ alone saves us. We agree with the Protestants in that regard. But how does he save us? Does he save us by declaring us righteous, as the Protestants think? Or does he save us by infusing his grace into our lives, by giving us, through the sacraments, his own divine life? That's the way the Catholics understand it. Right. Well, the Protestants, when they read, there are you know lines that I could understand when they would why they would go that way, you know, faith alone. Because you know, if you believe, you know, they say if you believe in Jesus Christ, well, they, yeah, they do believe in Jesus Christ. But yet, if that person believes in our Lord and then stays home, why the naked and the hungry are just outside the door? Right. And so, wow, yeah, that's something you, you know, right. Well, exactly. maybe they make it to purgatory. <laughs> you know, we I, no one knows the depth of the Lord's mercy. I mean, we'll all find out, good, the good Lord willing. Um, Mary, was she an issue at all coming in? A little bit, yeah. In fact, I remember when I was still teaching at the uh, Presbyterian Seminary, <clears throat> one day I knew that Catholics had prayed the rosary, so I, got, I bought a rosary, and I started to pray, and I remember praying. I, had to, I said, God, if I'm doing something wrong, please forgive me, you know, <laughs> because I didn't understand it very much. But subsequently... Uh, I came to really love uh, the teachings and Mary as a person. And that was, in fact, the first Catholic book I ever wrote was about Mary. And uh, it's long out of print now. It was done back in the 1990s. But, uh, but I came to understand, as I came to understand Jesus better, as the true Son of God, eternal Son become man, he got his humanity from the Blessed Virgin Mary. So Mary was very, very important as well. So Mary and faith, and then the other one was the was the papacy, was the Pope, accepting him as the vicar of Christ, as the uh, head pastor of the church. Sure, sure. Well, if those keys that were given to Peter were yeah. handed down, you know, that, that just you know makes logical sense. But yeah, I can understand people don't want one yeah. man telling them, you know, yeah. Well, what he's telling you could be saving you. I, you know, I mean, they're they're human, you know. Yeah, sure. All right, back into your book here. Try to explain the idea of the real presence of Christ, which drew you into the church. It's in our Eucharist. Well, I think the uh, the the way to understand it is first of all to understanding or to accept that those scriptures have always been interpreted to believe that. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, that he truly meant that. He wasn't just giving a symbolic metaphor. He meant to say, I'm giving you my body, my humanity. I'm giving you who I am in this sacrament. The church has always understood that. Now, 
I know about more about this subject than probably any other theological subject, and I think I can safely say that I've never found one church father that ever denied that. They might have said it in different ways, some directly, some indirectly, but they all believed that this is truly the body and blood of Christ. Now, what does that mean? How could this bread become the body and blood of Christ? Well, to do that, we have to distinguish. We have to, if you don't believe in a spiritual reality behind a physical reality, well, then of course you're not going to believe. You mean behind that veil over there? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but if you believe that there's a spiritual reality, that God is there, that heaven is there, that that we can, as it were, through the eyes of faith, see into that, then you it's not so difficult to believe that through this means of bread and wine, there actually is the conveying of Christ's body and blood to us. Well, the one who was on the cross dying for us, he thirsted. Yeah, so yeah. when all those people that said, this is, this is too much for me, this, I can't, you know, no. And they walked away, and he looked at the back of their shirts as he's thirsting. You would think that he would have doubled down. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, come back. Yeah. But that didn't happen. You know, no, he allowed yeah. free will to happen is what he did. Yeah. You know, he, and he doubled, uh, he doubled down then. You know, if you don't eat my bread or eat my body and drink my blood, you know, you don't have yeah. life in you. That's and right. and for those who were staying there, well, how could that possibly be? You know, and that the instituted the Eucharist for the church, you know, that he is the living bread from heaven. Well, you know, at that moment in Jesus' life, it would have been much harder to believe in that because the Eucharist had not been instituted yet. But for us who live on the other side of that, we can look back and say, oh, he was talking about what he was going to do on the last night of his earthly life before he died. Now, the point that you brought about dying on the cross is so important. And that's why, that's why we did this book, The Mystery of the Altar. Because what happens in Mass, what happens in the altar is it like the crucifixion comes because Jesus died in his body. That body and that crucifixion come back to us in the Eucharist that's on the altar so that when the priest says, this is my body, which is broken for you, this is my blood, which is given for you, that those words are Christ speaking so that there's a transformation that takes place. The church's word is transubstantiation, where the substance of that bread and wine is changed, and that's what allows us to be able to commune with and in Jesus. Yes, and that's because he told us so, too. Yes. So you mentioned that the Eucharist is a true sacrifice to God. You know, they call a mass sacrifice. Right, right. So can you explain more what that means and why it is so important? Well, there's several ways to think of it, but as I said, the the events that saved us from hell are the events of what's called Catholics call the Paschal Mystery. So it's the suffering of it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is what saves us. Now, but his whole life led up to that moment. That's the climax. Now the question is, but how do we get connected to that? Now, some Christians believe that you just believe in Jesus as the Son of God. That's how you get connected in kind of a spiritual faith. 
Now, that's true. But Jesus knew as human beings that we needed more than just that. So what did he do? He left us this memorial meal. And this meal that we have is what allows us to be connected with the sufferings, the death, and the resurrection. How did they get imparted? Let's think of it this way. If you can draw a line in your mind between time and eternity, on that we live on the side of time, Jesus lives in eternity, he can come back into time anytime he wants because he's at every moment of time. And when a priest says the words of consecration and the Spirit comes down upon them, then what's happening is that Jesus is coming again as if he came the first time, except this time he brings his death and his resurrection. And in that death and resurrection, we find forgiveness. And this is why we can have eternal life. See, we can't have eternal life without forgiveness, right? Right. So if we have sins, he forgives us through the Eucharist as well. Well, when you look at the big scheme of things, you know, the the whole salvation of history, and we are now living in the final covenant. Can you explain to the people how important that is? Well, Jesus said this is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant was predicted in Jeremiah chapter 31 in which he says, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in them. And so Jesus comes as the mediator of the new covenant. It says that in the book of Hebrews. And as the mediator of the new covenant, he's not only king, but he's also a priest. And so he intercedes with God, with the Father, for us, having accomplished salvation on earth, suffering, death, resurrection. He takes all of that back in the ascension and takes us, as it were, spiritually into heaven as well. And so when we have when we have that relationship with him, we have it and we're reminded of that and we are drawn back into that through the sacrament of the Eucharist. So in order for me to continue my life as a Christian, I have to have that Eucharist in order to continue to have the life infused into me. And you do have a lot of that life infused me. <laughs> Just watching you and listening to you talk about the Eucharist is, uh, should be a topic that everybody would love to get into, especially if you have family and friends who have maybe stopped practicing like they should. We all know who they are, my friends. If you'd like a free copy of this program, call us after the program, and if you pay for the postage, we will send you a free copy. Share it with your friends, your neighbors, your family. Come on, my friends. Help us save one soul at a time, as we like to say here at St. Joseph Radio Presents. We'll come back with Fokker Kenneth Howell after this short break, and we'll talk a little more about the mystery of the altar. Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution. Offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible and affordable, Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education. 
Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K O L B E.org. Or give them a call. Area code 707 255 6499. That's 707 255 6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. St. Charles, Missouri, back live to you. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents. Matt Logman in studio with Dr. Kenneth Howell discussing the Eucharist and his new book, Mystery of the Altar. Great stuff, my friends. Also, we have another Lenten speaker series as you go throughout our area here. St. Angela Marici Catholic Church. Father Jeremy Pollan will be talking on March 19th from St. Mary's Church in Alton, Illinois, and his topic will be St. Joseph. If you were listening to this station earlier, we heard Dr. Uh, Father Calloway was talking about his new book. Yeah, yeah. Love to hear that stuff and the consecration to Joseph, this being the year and the month. So, Dr. Kenneth Howell, all right, we were talking earlier about all the stuff, and, and then that we touched on the covenant. So... You explained why it's so important. So, and you talked about how it is a true sacrifice, and you explained why that. So, what are the effects now that the Eucharist is supposed to have on those who seek it and who receive yeah. it? Yeah, you know, in that passage of that prophecy in, in Jeremiah chapter 31, it, re, it reaffirms the promise originally to Abraham. When, Abraham, when God said to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children and your descendants. You, I will be your God and you will be my people. That has become more true than we could ever have imagined. When we come into a intimate friendship with Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is an intimate love and friendship with his Father. You see, there's an expression that some theologians use, we, be, we become sons in the Son. So in Jesus Christ, we have this intimate connection with God so that God gives his life to us, the life that we live. Another way to say it is this. We, live or, now we look like ordinary lives, but we live them with extraordinary grace, with extraordinary love that comes from God. And so it's much like the Eucharist in the sense that people can only see the outside of our life, but inside there's an animating grace that, gives, that God gives us. In the Eucharist, it looks like bread, but it really is the body of Christ. It tastes like wine, but it really is 
The blood of Christ. Oh, the blood. Yes, the blood of Christ. Yeah, it, it, amazing. And as, as you're talking like that, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's why we leave the bushel baskets at home. Yeah. You know, and that's why I'm frustrated with these masks. Because it yeah. it yeah. hides this this light, this yeah. smile, this love that you know it's behind this mask. And oh boy, yeah. don't get me started. Well, so, <laughs> I just hope we get rid of them soon. Amen, because, brother. Yeah. So yeah, we are adopted sons, and therefore heirs of this fantastic kingdom that yeah. that that God has promised us through His Son and the Eucharist. Oh my goodness. So let's get, what else would you like, got to get off your chest, the Eucharist, and why? <laughs> well, I think the, the, the wonderful thing, and, and that's, that's why we did this. My, my friend, Joseph Cromwell, we decided to do this book together because we wanted to show that what we are, what I'm saying here today, is not something I made up. It's not even been made up for 500 years. It's been made up from, the, it was been the very beginning. And so this is a selection of the great saints from every generation of the church for 21 centuries. You can go back and early, you can see about the Eucharist, how it was celebrated in the times of the Didache, which most scholars think was the second half of the first century before the apostles died, or maybe the latest, the first half of the second century, the time of Ignatius all the way up to Pope Benedict, Pope John Paul II, we quote from here, Saint John Paul II. What does this mean? It means that we live in this rich tradition of teaching that we didn't create ourselves, we didn't make up. Now, you know, I was trained as a historian, and one of the things that I realized is that when you forget about history, you forget about who you are. And that's true as Americans, if we forget the Constitution, if we forget the people that founded this country and the sacrifices they made, we, we cease to understand what it means to be an American. But that's even more true of a Christian, of a Catholic who doesn't know anything about the history of the church because we forget who we are. Wow. And so if we want to know who we are today and know to how we're going to live tomorrow, we have to know what, what has been done in the past the great achievements that have been there. Right. I guess that's why the enemy took the Bible out of the schools and they're knocking down all the statues of the saints. So, oh, my, oh, yeah, that's oh right. Yeah. It is quite the spiritual battle we are in, folks. But we're no doing, doubt about it. We are doing our best, hopefully. Wow, that just, uh, it's amazing. So back to the Eucharist. Yeah. So uh, did you know all this stuff? You just read a whole bunch of stuff or, or said <laughs> yeah. about these fathers. Now, yeah. did you know this information when you were a Presbyterian minister, or was this something that you discovered when you decided to research? Oh, yeah, yeah. The earliest uh, writers of the church, the Didache, Ignatius, Justin, that I began investigating when I was still a Presbyterian. Okay. But since that time, I've read all these other great saints. And my friend, we happened to be reading different saints, and so we decided to put them together. What I think you see in this is some of the beautiful uh, effects of receiving the Eucharist. Now, there's a little bit of a conundrum there because many Catholics may come to Mass and receive, the commun receive communion, but maybe they don't change much. And that's a strange conundrum I don't understand. 
Because if you read these great saints, if you read the scriptures, the reason that we receive the Eucharist is to become like Jesus. So the more that we become like Jesus, the more that, that or rather the more we receive the Eucharist, the more that we do so with a willing heart and mind, that's how we become like Jesus Christ. And we become like little Christs. Because you know the word in Greek, Christianos, means a little Christian, a little Christ. We want to become like Christ in the world. Amazing. So the people I think you just described, the Lord talked about calling them lukewarm? Yeah, yeah, in the book of Revelation, yeah. In the uh, the church there in, uh, in uh, Laodicea, where he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're just lukewarm. You know, that's interesting you should say that. Because as a later church father, St. John Chrysostom, and I'm writing another book on him right now, and he talks about this. He talks about the, one of the greatest sins of all, and you'd be surprised by what it is. It's not alcoholism. It's not sexual addiction. It's not, you know, bad behavior. It's indifference. That's the worst sin. Why? Because if I, for example, have a struggle with a particular sin, and I commit the sin, but then I come and ask God to forgive me. Well, that sin is over. But what does indifference do? Indifference just keeps us away from God forever. It's the talent buried in the hole. It, that's a good way of putting it. In other words, it's that we don't care anymore about what God feels or thinks and so forth. And you were talking earlier about the nation. I think, unfortunately, that's where we've come as a nation. We don't care what God thinks anymore. Well, God will put up with that for so long. I don't know how long that's going to be, but we know that God cannot be mocked forever. So what can we do to get people to come to the Eucharist, not only willingly, but ready? Yeah, that's a great one. Well, one thing we can do, the first thing we do, as we always do, is we pray. And we believe that God does answer prayer. So we pray for spiritual renewal, spiritual revival, within our own country, within the church, within the world. The second thing we do is to get the message out. I just heard recently about a friend right here in St. Charles, and she goes door to door and gives a, you know, gives a plaque of the Divine Mercy Chaplet or something. Well, those are the kind of things we should, every parish in the United States should be doing. We should be going into our neighborhoods and telling, we don't have to force people, we don't want to do that. We just say, we wanted to invite you to understand the Catholic faith more, to maybe come to Mass and to see what it's like. Um, we need to be evangelists. I was telling someone recently, I asked them the question, how many missionaries are there in the Catholic Church? And a person was thinking, oh, maybe there's a million, you know, or whatever. And then uh, <clears throat> and I said, no, no, there's at least 1.4 billion because every member of the Church is a missionary. Baptized. Every member baptized right. is truly a missionary. The mission wasn't given just to the apostles. It was given to them to carry it on within the church and then everyone in the church. And that's part of the beauty, I think, of our Catholic understanding of vocation. Everyone has a vocation, a role to fulfill in God's plan. What is that role? And that's part of the joy of our young people is helping them to discover what that vocation is that God is asking of them. 
I know a lot of adults that still don't know what God is asking them to do. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, 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 I'm frustrated about the undercatechizing over the last, say, four decades. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that, that's, that's what started this whole ball rolling. Yeah. I don't want to say downhill, yeah, but yeah. it's not getting any better. I mean, in some lives it is. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I think there's I think there's reasons to hope, and one of them is uh, the young men that God is calling into the priesthood. I've talked with priest after priest now, who saying, you know, these are these men are making this commitment in a way that's going to be take a lot of sacrifice, but they're willing to do this. Now, think about it for just a moment. Uh, maybe fifty and seventy years ago. A Catholic young man might go into the priesthood because his mother was kind of urging him to do so, or maybe she was at least praying that he would do so. And it was kind of expected in a big Catholic family, you know. One of those boys might become a priest. Well, today, that's all gone. There's no incentives to a man to go into the priesthood anymore, no worldly incentives. If he decides to become a priest, he's probably giving up a lot. He's giving up probably a lucrative career. He may be, you know, be be giving up a in the Western Church anyway, be giving up a you know the joy of a wife and a, and a family and so forth, but he's doing it because he believes that God is calling him to be the husband of the church, so that he like Christ can feed the church, can nurture the church, can raise them and so forth. That's a big sacrifice. And those are the ones that put their nets down and it, followed him exactly, and so. The fact that we're getting these young men that are so gifted and good, it's a wonderful thing. And so that's why I'm hopeful about the future, because usually as the priesthood goes, so then the church goes. So I think the next few generations could be very hopeful. But at the same time, we have to be clear-headed about the fact that the church, as it becomes more missionary-minded, will also be more pressured like in a like in a pressure cooker, and we're going to be both from spiritually from the inside and from the outside. So we could see more persecution in the church as well. Yes, I brought that up to my son who was in Kenrick Glennon, and he looked right at me and said, "Dad, this is our faith, and this is our church. We love her, and we are ready to fight for her." Good for him. God bless him. There are four men from my parish. Is that right? In the seminary right now. Oh, that. That speaks volumes to It's huge. That's wonderful. And there's three more just on neighboring parishes, you know, that used to come to our ministries, yeah, yeah. Uh, youth ministry, seven in the area. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something to be hopeful about, that is for sure. Yeah, so folks, yeah. make sure you get a copy of this program so that you can share with people so that you can actually feel good about yourself. Here, take this. I mean, you know, we're talking about missionaries. We're talking about people who serve. You know, you can do that. It's a free CD. Pay for the postage. Call us after the program and get it and say, here, listen to this from our Dr. Kenneth Howell. I mean, this guy's talking about the Eucharist and how important it is. So if somebody goes to Mass and they're living in a state of mortal sin and they go up there and yeah. receive communion, yeah. explain that. Well, what? If a person is in a state of mortal sin, and really only they can know that, but there's so many people, as you indicated, about being under-catechized, they're, they're ignorant of, of what it is. Well, they're committing another sin, and that's the sin of sacrilege. And sacrilege is the sin of treating holy things in a very ordinary, common way. If a person realizes that they've committed mortal sin, or they think they have, 
they should go to confession first. And they should go to confession, honestly opening their hearts to God. Between Only three people are going to hear it, God, themselves, and the priest. And as he gives them absolution, then they are free to, back, to come back to the Eucharist. Now, the church, in its wisdom, understands that it's not always easy to get to confession. So what, they, what the church says is that if a person thinks they might be in a mortal sin or have committed one, they, sh- they can pray in what's called a prayer of, of perfect contrition. God, I am sorry for the sins I have done. Not because I'm afraid of hell, but because I love you and I've rejected your love. Please forgive me. And I promise, I promise to go back to confession just as soon as I possibly can. Well, that then it would be possible for that person to receive communion, and the grace can be there. St. John Chrysostom, I mentioned him earlier, he says that it's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of how many days you prayed before you come to communion. It's a matter of the state of your heart. So just like the scripture text for today that we read in church, it the the tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In a sense, that's all that really takes is asking God for mercy. Couldn't even raise his eyes, plus yeah. his heart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. That's humility. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from the Rome of the West here in St. Charles, Missouri. A great place to live. Matt Logman here with Dr. Kenneth Howell as we're discussing the mystery on the altar. Hopefully you are enjoying the talk. And, folks, this might be something that you could do. Nominate somebody. The St. Louis Catholic Man of the Year is coming up again. And will they come from your parish? The Catholic Man of the Year lives out his faith by sharing his time, talent, and for the good of others. The award dinner will take place on June 13th at the Hilton St. Louis Frontenac. And Bishop Mark Rivetuso will present the special award. Do you know Bishop Mark? He married my wife and I. Man, I said, is that right? He is, he is so oh. much fun to be around. So much fun. So, uh, yeah, I digress rapidly. Yeah, he makes me laugh every time. He's always giving me trouble. Can you imagine <laughs> that? So, so oh, the importance of the Eucharist cannot be understated. No. No. no that's, that's really true. In uh, The great theologians of the church call it the sacrament of the sacraments. Now, that language is biblical because, you know, the, the, the Song of Solomon in the Bible, right? The Song of Solomon is really that title is the Song of Songs. And that's the Hebrew way of saying the greatest song of all. It's the song about, you know, about the love relationship between God and his people. Well, in the same way, the church, the, the theologians said, this is the sacrament of the sacraments. It's the greatest sacrament. St. Thomas Aquinas put it this way. All the sacraments give us grace, but only the Eucharist gives us the author of grace. You see, all the sacraments give us God's life, but in the sacrament of the Eucharist, we have God himself coming to live within us. One could say it's the source and summit. Yeah, that's exactly what the Second Vatican Council says. It's the source and the summit. And I'd like to pause for just a moment and think about that. The source meaning that we can't live the Christian life without Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes to us in the Eucharist. We can't reach God, the summit, without, we can't reach God without Jesus Christ. It's only through him mm-hmm. 
the way, the truth, truth and, and the life. The life. Amen. And you know what? We need to let all of our friends, both Protestant and others, know that's what we believe. It's Jesus. Our life is about Jesus Christ. That's why when you go into a Catholic church, what do you see? Up on the wall, you see a crucifix because he is all, he's all in all for us. Or you see without the corpus and then you're not in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. My, oh my. So the Eucharist is so important. Explain to somebody out there listening that maybe isn't in communion with the church and they're like, this is great. I need this now. Yeah. And they go in and receive. Well, talk about people who receive it who aren't in communion. Well, I think that, or you mean people that are Protestant. Protestant, right. yeah. Well, this is a great question because so many people get confused. If you walk into most Protestant churches today, this wasn't true historically, but today people will just go in and receive, you know, communion of the Lord's Supper there. And they're... They think nothing of it. So they think the same is true of the Catholic Church. It's very important that a person not receive the communion, not receive communion, receive the Eucharist until they are in communion with the Catholic Church. The reason is this. To receive communion is a profession of faith. It's saying, I believe all that the Church teaches. See, that's why it's so wrong for politicians that don't agree with the Church to receive communion. Because to receive communion is an act which says, I believe all that the Catholic Church teaches. Well, if a person doesn't believe that, then what are they doing? They're lying with their body. They're saying with their body, I'm, I believe this, but I don't believe it. So they must be in communion with the Church. Now, it's not because the Church wants to keep them at arm's distance. No, the Church is reaching out with their arm of love to say, yes, come into the church. We want you to have this. But you can't jump into bed with another man's wife <laughs> or another woman. A woman, you know, the, the metaphor changes there. But you can't, you can't have union with someone with whom you're not really in union with. So marriage, just like marriage, is about union with your spouse. So Jesus is the, the husband of the church and we're like the bride. We're going to be in union with him, but we have to do so within the context that he established, which is the church. So the bottom line is this. If a person wants the Eucharist, they come to the church and they say, how do I become Catholic? Teach me how to do that. And then when they become, they'll be ready to receive it with a great grace. Now, I went to Mass for probably four years before I received communion. They can come to Mass. They can participate. They can be all a part of it. But that active communion is like a husband and wife joining together in conjugal love making. Mm. And so we should not do that unless we're truly united to the church. And the anticipation when RCIA comes to, yeah. the, you know, to the culmination of exactly. Easter. Oh, my. You know. Exactly. It, it, our, our, height, our senses are heightened so much by waiting for that moment. Just like a young couple who are going to get married, but they're going to wait to their wedding night before they enjoy in conjugal lovemaking because, and their senses are heightened for that day as they wait, as they protect themselves, as they wait to that night when they can join together as husband and wife. And you want to make sure that you have that white 
vestige on, you know, before you be in communion, you know, with the creator. You know, people take it so haphazard. Oh, you, you, you understand it very well. I mean, to realize what will bring us true happiness. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to know that it isn't money. It isn't status. It isn't fame. It isn't any of these things that we often in our youth think will give us happiness. What will give us happiness? It's the creator, redeemer in our souls. That's what brings us peace. That's how we can be happy. A peace beyond our comprehension. Yeah, Paul says that, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Beyond understanding, yeah. yeah. I mean, what you just said, brothers and sisters out there in the listening world, is the main reason why you need to get a copy of this program. That last statement is right on the button as far as the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the recipe for a peace that is beyond our understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So many people are seeking that peace. You know, I taught in university for a number of years, and I could see that students were kind of homeless, not physically, but spiritually, wandering around, not knowing to know what to do with their lives. You can see it. You can. Yeah. yeah. Every day of their life. Just like you can, you can see somebody that's illuminated by the love of God. Oh, yeah. It's in the way they act. Well, Dr. Howell. How can people get a book? How can they do that? They can go, this is promoted by uh, Emmaus Press, and uh, they can go to that website, or they can go to St. Joseph uh, Radio, uh, St. Joseph Evangelism Network. They have copies there, and uh, they can pick up a copy and make it a daily meditation of their lives. Fantastic. All about the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of our faith, my friends. Make sure you get a copy of that CD. Give us a call after the program, 447-6000. That is 447-6000. Dr. Kenneth Howell, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and, and everything that you've done. And uh, keep up the good work as we bring more people into the church. And you too, my friends, as we save one soul at a time. been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.